I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the crunch or the saltiness or whether it's the spicy bite of jalapeno or it's the fresh tomatoes mixed with the onion and the cilantro. Oh, you must be thinking, Elvis isn't fair. We're hungry. It's dinner time soon. Listen, I'm going to get real with you guys. Is that okay? I'd like to think, I'd like to think as Elvis Fernando Yescas, that's my middle name by the way, that I've got good self-control. That's what I like to think. I can follow a strict regimen if I need to train for a marathon. Right? I can make sure I don't waste time on my phone if I need to study or, or prepare a sermon. Out of sheer will, guys, out of sheer will, I make myself not scratch an itchy eye. You know how difficult that is without eye drops? Or is it just me? Maybe it's just me. You know what I'm talking about? It, yes, come on. You don't leave me hanging like that. But, but you said I could be real with you. But I have zero, zero control, zero control when it comes to chips and salsa. Chips and salsa. None. Chips and salsa, guys, are my weakness. My weakness. I can't, I can't help it. If I pledged to not overeat or snack, all you would have to do is say, hey, Elvis, you just open up a bag of tortilla chips, and you crack open a jar of salsa, and that's it. It's game over. Game over. And you've, you've messed me up, and that's it. Zero control over chips and salsa. It's difficult. But self-control, right? That's what this weekend's all about. That's what we're talking about. Self-control. Do you remember what it means? I'm sure if you look back to your notes from last night, you could probably tell me right now, but Pastor Nathan defined it this way. He said, the ability to have control over your, your own thoughts, emotions, and actions, especially, especially in difficult situations. That's hard, Elvis. That's hard. Why do you have to hit us with that again? That's hard. But if you think about it, we let a lot of things control us anyway. You might be saying, I don't think so, Elvis. I've got good self-control. But what about the things that you watch? What about the things that you listen to? What about the friends that influence you? What about how you might let emotions drive your decisions, actions, and words? The list goes on. The list goes on. And we've got to get a grip. We've got to get a grip on ourselves. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Get a grip on yourself. Maybe, you know, you're acting like you, you bonked yourself in the head and you, you're acting like a, a silly goofball and you're not listening to your parents, you're disrespectful, you don bonked your head, right? That's what that phrase means. And sometimes, sometimes, maybe your parent or an adult might say, hey, get a grip of yourself. Have you heard that term before? Get a grip on yourself. That means understanding a difficult situation and you try to find a way of dealing with it. Right? I'm sad. I didn't get what I want. I didn't get what I desired. I, I asked for this for my birthday and I didn't get it. Get a grip of yourself. Get a grip of yourself. It's a self-restraint. It's to be occupied by and it's to be controlled. To be controlled. And there's one person, according to the Apostle Paul, 
that says can help us get a grip on ourselves. Listen, if we're going to walk out of here, and if some of you are going to sit there and you're going to try to fight to stay awake, stay with me here. I want you to write this down. Okay, write this down. This is the main idea. This is, if we're going to walk out and, you're, and your mom or dad or your grandpa or your cousin or your or, you know, somebody's visiting from Florida comes and says, hey, what'd you do this week? And you say, oh, I went to retreat. It was on self-control. And they're like, cool, what'd you learn on, on Friday night? You'll tell them. What'd you learn Saturday night? This is what I want you guys to walk away. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Allow, allow yourself to be controlled by Christ. Allow yourself to be controlled by Christ. See, being controlled by Christ's love, as we are about to read means that our behaviors, our thoughts, our actions, our words, and our emotions and a multitude of other things are controlled by him. I want you guys, because you all have Bibles, you brought Bibles, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Take your Bibles there, look at those verses, glue your eyes on verses 14 and 15, and while you're turning there, I want to I kind of point out some stuff here. See, Paul gives us something really important in these two verses, verses 14 and 15. He provides a reason, provides a reason why he does what he does, why he says what he says, how, why he acts the way he acts, why he believes the way he believes, and what he believes. And it's what allowed him, get this guys, that allowed him to be stoned and be left for dead. He dragged out of a city only to pick himself up and continue doing what he was doing in proclaiming the gospel. He was under the constraint, under the control, under, he was being compelled by the love of Christ. That's what is motivating him, driving him. And this was for the benefit. He's telling this to the Corinthians, right? He wants them to remember, hey, this is who's controlling us, who's allowing to drive our emotions, the way we think and what we do and what we say, it's Jesus. See, that's the perfect, that's the perfect answer. If somebody goes, what is this talking about? Jesus. It's the perfect answer right there. But let's, let's let Paul say it, all of this for himself. And I actually want to start reading in verse 13 to give us a little more context on what Paul is saying here and why he's saying what he's saying. So let's go ahead. Eyes on those verses, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to go ahead and read that for us. And it says this. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And here he is. He's insisting on how truthful he was being. Paul says that he was willing to be thought as a fool. How many of us in this room, right this very second, just to prove you're being honest, sincere, and truthful, are okay with being thought that you're silly or foolish. A couple people, okay? All of you, thank you for your honesty. But that's a good thing to think about. This is what Paul's doing. He's so controlled, so compelled by Jesus, he's okay with people thinking, hey, I'm, I, I'm okay if you think I'm crazy. But what I'm, what I'm telling you is important. What I'm about to proclaim to you is significant and critical and life-changing. That's what he's saying here. You see? Only... Someone who is completely devoted to God would want to act this way, would want to do these things, would, want, would allow himself to be motivated by all of this. 
See, Paul wanted to express that he was doing what he was doing, not, self, not out of selfishness, but he was doing it selflessly. This is being done because why he's being motivated. He's motivated by, God's, by God, and he's, he's loving God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. All his mind. Okay, this is where we get started in verse 14, right? Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And you're like, wait a second, Elvis, that makes, where have I seen that? What is that on? It's on your sweaters, guys. For the love of Christ controls us. See, this explanation actually furthers what he just said. Right? He's controlled, he's compelled, he's seized, he's restrained, he's under the authority of Christ's love. And not in the robotic sense, but in the sense that he's not only dedicated, but he's freed. He's freed from only wanting what he wanted. The me, 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 I, 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 I. See, he completely is under this constraint. By, he's constrained by the love of Christ. And Christ's love empowers him to do what he needs to do, to do, to have written these, these letters, to have gone on his missionary trips, to determine his life and his actions. Christ's love isn't a compulsion, but freedom to be of a sound mind. Now, what does that mean? That means that I'm, I'm trapped in this thinking. No. In fact, you're freed. Right? I no longer just have to think about my own things, about what I want, my desires. I can think about the person sitting next to me. Even if that person doesn't know my name, I can love them. Right? Because that is, in essence, a type of self-control. I'm having self-control on my own desires and my own wills and placing them on someone else and caring for other people and loving other people and serving other people. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, Paul is identifying himself with Jesus Saying, Jesus did this for me. I'm living like he, I want to live in this way. This selfless, selfless abandon. See, by, the very, by our very nature, by our very nature, guys, we need to understand we live for ourselves only. We live for ourselves only. You might be saying, Elvis, hold on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just, I gave so-and-so this. I gave somebody my sandwich. I gave this. I gave this. Right? Yeah, okay, Sure. That works, but what really is going to motivate us and drive us to have that be wholeheartedly and genuinely authentic is Jesus. So, self-control, it sounds hard, doesn't it? Does it sound hard? Yeah? It can be. But we need to hear what Paul is saying here in these verses. Okay, self-control, self-control is hard at best, but impossible on our own. It's hard at best, impossible at our own, on our own. We may be able to stay on track, but it'll only be temporary. It'll only be temporary. And that's why we need to understand, we need to see, we need to know who controls us. And that actually leads me to my very first point this evening is this. See who controls you. See who controls you. I don't know if you've ever heard of the hair worm. The hair worm. 
be ready to get terrified. The hair worm. Okay, guys, these things are disgusting and terrifying, and I don't know why we have these living on our planet today. But these guys, these little itty-bitty guys here, that's a cricket, as you can tell, but that little, that little wormy guy <laughs> is a hair worm. You know what it does? It makes its way into a cricket, a grasshopper, a praying mantis, an insect, okay? All right? It makes its way in there, and then it releases these mind-controlling chemicals. Mind-controlling chemicals. Not to better the insect's life, but to eventually kill the insect. So here's what it does. It gets this insect to think, hey, the moon or the sun reflecting off this water is real pretty. I want to make my way over there. And so it makes the insect, the cricket, the grasshopper, the frame mantis, jump, 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 until it's jumped into the water and drowns. After that happens, the hairworm emerges and goes on to its next victim. You're welcome. Now you know these things exist. But isn't this wild? I was, I, was looking, I was looking through some stuff. I came across this article, and I thought, that is wild. And you don't, listen, I don't want you to go and leave here and worry that, oh, my goodness, I'm going to get a hairworm now, and it's going to control me to go do A, B, C, X, Y, Z. No. No, no known human cases yet. But can you imagine something this, this, this tiny, having full control of you, full control of you, I mean, no thanks, but it's an interesting notion. It's, it's an interesting thing that this thing is part of creation. This parasite. This thing can compel this insect to do something. To change behaviors. To change actions. To change thoughts. To be completely under its control. And I don't mean in the robotic sense or under a mind control, but something that... that we experience, not unlike, you know, not, I'm not trying to compare this hairworm to, to, to Jesus, but the similar, similarity there is that Jesus' love is going to mold us. It's going to ch- he's going to change our desires, our thoughts, our actions, what we say, what we're going to do, how we react to things, difficult situations. And being able to control your thoughts or how you're going to react during difficult situations is extremely helpful. Extremely helpful. So this shaping, this controlling, this compelling of behaviors and emotions is something that Paul is talking about here. See, Christ's love, that's what he says in verse 14, right? For the love of Christ controls us. What does that mean? What does that mean? Who Christ's love, I don't know. What, what does that mean? See, love is something, it's, it's a profound thing to think about. And something that I wanted to spend just a few minutes talking to you about before we jump really into, okay, are you changing this into a love sermon or self-control? But we'll get there. Don't worry. I know you guys are worried. You're looking at me like, Elvis, mm, you're worried. I know. It's okay. Just follow along. Here we go. You ready? Because his love has such a deep, profound meaning to us. It's, it's got depth. This is how we should think about it. There's four things I want to give you guys. Four ways to think about Christ's love. And the first one is this. If we know the depth of someone's love, Jesus' love, we'll know what it cost. We'll know what it cost. 
we'll understand the depth of the greatness of what it cost him. That was an extreme cost, wasn't it? He was obedient, even obedient to, to his death on the cross, as Paul says. But as we think about that cost, I want you guys to be thinking about, okay, well, what cost do I understand right? as a fifth grader, sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader? What is that cost that I can, what, how do I understand that? How is it that, how can I put that in application in my life? Well, I want you guys to think about all the things that your parents buy for you. Think about all the things that you need for school, all the things that you need for sports, for your favorite hobbies, for birthdays, everything. As you're going through this list, right, guys, I want you to be thinking, that costs things. Do I understand? If I didn't have those things, what that would mean? But because I have those things, the cost of that? That's how we know when the depth of someone's love is we'll know it, it's costly. It costs something. The second thing is this. If we know the depth of someone's love, we'll know that we are undeserving of it. Undeserving of it. Look at Romans 5, verses 5 through 8. It says this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we're undeserving of it. We're undeserving of that gift. And again, this is where a, a little, we're starting to get a little bit into the, into the area of self-control. Because a lot of times, and I think all of us, I'll include myself in that mix as well, we're always thinking, I, I need this, I need this, I need it now, I need it now, and then it takes over our minds, and it's driving our decisions, it's driving our actions, it's driving our, our, our speech and how we speak. So then what happens when we don't get it? We get frustrated, we get upset, we get angry, we get sad. And we've lost, we've lost control and allowed those emotions to drive us in what and how we shouldn't be acting. Third thing is this. If we know the depth of someone's love, we'll see how great the benefits we receive in being loved. How many of you know that you are loved? That should be everybody. 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 If you know you're loved, right, if you, you, you know your parents love you. You know your parents love you. You know your small, groups, your small group leaders love you. And even if they say, if, even if they're really mean and they're, 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 they're saying all these things and, and I don't know why they're being so mean, but they're just calling things out in your life that they see are stopping you from being the person you need to live like or you need to be, that's speaking truth in love. It's speaking truth in love. First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 say this, and I just want to read chapter 1. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that he did not know him. See, guys, the thing is that children of God, there's great benefits in that. Great benefits in that. We should take comfort in that. 
And the last thing is this, and if we know the depth of someone's love for us, we're going to understand the freedom with which they love us. If someone's loving us because they're being forced to do it, is that a real lo- kind of love? Deep, is that a deep love? Is that a profound love? If I told one of you, hey, tonight, I want you to say one kind thing to somebody. I could be exhorting you. I could be, I could be encouraging you to say those things. But I said, I want you to be kind to somebody tonight. And that's going to show you that you, that's going to show them that you love them. Is that really a kind, caring way to say, hey, I love you, I like this about you? Nah, it's because you're going to say, Elvis told me to say it, it's not, I didn't really mean it. I mean, see, it, it's, it's, it's the, in, the same, in the same manner, right? Our parents, our parents aren't, they're not forced. Nobody's forcing them, hey, you're going you're gonna to love that kid. You're going to love that kid. No, they're gonna, they love us because we're, we're, we're their children, right? That's an amazing love. It's an amazing love, amazing, deep, profound love. To the Edgers, I've spoken to, I've spoken to you about my, my parents' journey from Guatemala to the United States. And they had this crazy trek. It wasn't that, right? They didn't have the Google, the Google then. But from Guatemala to the United States, that's what my, my parents immigrated from Guatemala to California in hopes of making their lives better. So they got married, and months later, they decided, we're going to the United States. And the reason I bring this up is because my parents, as immigrants, had to sacrifice and give up a lot of things. They got married, they had to leave behind what was familiar to them. They left family members, they left friends, they left a lot of their belongings behind, they packed what they could, which wasn't very much, and they decided to make the trip from Guatemala to the United States. When eventually I got talking to them about it and was asking, hey, why, why all that? Why not stay in Guatemala? Why, why did you do this? Why did you go this route? Why did you do this? And the first thing they said was opportunities. We sacrificed here and what we knew and who we knew and what was familiar to go to a country we didn't even speak the language, where we didn't speak the language, and we decided to, to, to strive, to hold fast for opportunities. For opportunities. Why? For our kids, they said. Our kids. We want our kids to have better opportunities, to be able to have um, a, a better way of life than what we'd be able to provide in Guatemala. So my parents sacrificed everything they knew, tried to learn English, and, well, now I'm standing here before you. But I say that and I explain that because this was all for, for, it was a deep love. It was this costly sacrifice to leave everything they knew and everybody they knew to, to, for us to be able to experience something more, something better than what they could provide for us in their, their, their country of origin. And similarly, your parents love you guys. Your parents love you. They love you deeply. There isn't anything forced there. No one's making them love you. And understanding when someone loves you in this manner helps how we think, how we feel, what we say, and what we do. And I want us to think about it this way. See, when we get those things, when we know those things, and when we see those things clearly, understanding his love, Christ's love, understanding his love will change how you think. It's going to change how you think. 
This is going to change your thought process, your mindset, and how you make decisions. How many of us have ever been in a, a state of, of irritation, frustration, or anger? Right? That should be all of us. We've all been there. And the first thing that comes to mind when somebody's wronged you or you're upset you didn't get something is the first thing out of your mouth, happy, joyful things? No. It's irritated, frustrated words to whoever is going to stand in your way and receive them. But see, understanding Christ's love changes how we think. It provides us the ability to have a self-control to be compelled by Jesus' deep, profound, sacrificial love for us. Romans 12, verse 2 says this. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. Elvis, what does that mean? Renewal of your mind. Well, that's opening up God's word. Not as any ordinary book. So whatever it is that you're reading right now, you're not opening up God's word in that same way. You're opening up God's word to expect transformation, to expect encouragement, to expect comfort, but also to expect uncomfortable texts. To open that up and say, this is what I'm struggling with right now. What does that have to say? Right, for Edgers, maybe it's, it's in the New Testament. Right, we read Luke 8, just Luke 8 today. And we talked about the different soils and the effect of God's word and how everybody receives God's word. And for narrow students, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's something a little bit deeper for you guys. But the fact is, is that what we're reading, when we read God's word, we should expect it to transform our minds, to renew our minds. We get up in the morning and we read God's word and we're expecting these things from it. I got Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 for you, right? In terms of how it changes our, our thought process, our logic, our decision making. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, if there, excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, Paul's saying, think about good, wholesome things. If we're allowing different things to influence us, different movies, different TV shows, our friends, different things to influence our life, guys, how can we think about things that are excellent about things that, that are pure, things that are lovely, honorable, just. It's hard, right? Because our mind's clouded by these other things. This also changes, it helps us understand how we should feel. How we should feel. Now, I did a whole, narrow, I did a whole series on emotions with Edge so I kind of wanted to uh, not talk a whole lot about it, but give you some, some little things that, uh, some tidbits that I, I shared with Edge, right? Our emotions won't be what drive us but Christ, or shouldn't be what drives us, but it should be Christ who's driving us. That should be the driving catalyst in everything that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, is Jesus. For example, 
if we've ever felt extreme sadness, extreme sadness, God will care for us in the saddest of seasons. That's a true truth right there. God will care for us in our saddest of seasons. If we're angry, if we're angry, anger doesn't accomplish what God desires of us. And we need to remember to believe God can and does provide for us. When we're feeling anxious, when we're worried, when we're concerned, God does always provide for us. He can and he will, he does provide for us. And when things are scary, when we're afraid, when we think our cabins are haunted, but they're not, it doesn't matter what the fear is, guys. We can trust God to protect us. We can trust God to protect us. So I gave you, understanding Christ's love is going to change how you think, how you feel, and the third one is how you speak. How you speak. Because it's important to think about how, what, 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 who you are and who how your speech is, is, is uh, how you speak with other people, how you speak with circles of influences and your friends and your families and your parents and your teachers. That's all important, how you're, how you're speaking to them. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And it says this, real short, real short. But Matthew 12, verse 34b. He says, From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So from your heart, your mouth speaks. What is he saying there? He's saying that whatever it is that you love truly and genuinely is, what, is how you're going to be talking. Is what you're going to be thinking about. It's how you're going to be feeling things or feeling about things. So I want to ask us all this, these questions to be pondering, to be thinking about, to be mulling over as you go not just to small groups or not just to dinner or not just to hear uh, Pastor Nathan's session tomorrow morning and then go down the, 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 the mountain and forget everything we're talking about. But these, I think, are important questions to really just spend the time thinking about. Are you guys ready for this? It says, okay, my first question is, what's controlling your speech or what you say? What's controlling your speech or what you say? I want you guys to be thinking about these things. What is it that, how, why am I speaking the way that I speak? Is it because I'm thinking about good, wholesome things, honorable things, pure things, excellent things? Or is it because I'm watching stuff I'm, I shouldn't be watching? Or I'm, I'm listening to music I sh- probably should not be listening to. You might be saying, Elvis, that doesn't have any control. I'm not memorizing the lyrics. I'm not, but if you're listening to it on a day-to-day basis, it's going to... It's going to infiltrate your mind, and it's going to permeate. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sink into your mind, and you're going to be thinking about it, singing about it random times, and that's what you're going to be thinking about. Second question is, how are you joking with your friends? How are you joking with your friends? This is a good heart check right here. How do you talk to your parents? If they say, hey, I need you to take out the trash, you go, yeah, whatever. I need you to take out the trash. I'll do it when I feel like it. Are you talking to your parents that way? Because you shouldn't. How are you talking to your teachers? How are you talking to your small group leaders? And is your speech characterized by bad words or things that aren't uplifting? 
Because if we're thinking about honorable things, pure things, excellent things, we're going to be wanting to uplift people, encourage people, love people, say loving things. And when we need to say the hard thing, we're going to say it out of love. That's how we should be speaking to one another. That's how we should be talking to one another. It shouldn't be only jokes, only pranks, only making fun of each other. So it's going to affect how you think, how you feel, how you speak, and lastly, how you act. How you act. Christ's love will affect how you act and what you do. And a good question to ask ourselves is this. What do people, how do, like, who are you to people? Who are you to your friends? Who are you to your family? Who are you to people here at this church? Is it, is it all the same person? Or are you someone different here versus at school, versus at home? And if that's the case, if you're three different people, why is that? Why are you three different people? Christ's love is going to change how we react to things, how we act. It's going to affect our reaction, our action to things. I want to read Acts 18.5. And I, I want you guys be... I want to elaborate on this one because this one doesn't have really anything to do with self-control. But it really speaks to the motives that are driving the person here in this verse. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews and, and, uh, that Christ was Jesus. That same word, occupied, that verb, is the same one that we find in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us. Controls and occupied here are the same word. And so therefore, Paul here was being controlled. He was being seized, restrained. He was under the authority of, 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 of Jesus testifying, proclaiming, declaring, telling the Jews about who Jesus was in the gospel. That's being moved to action. Christ's love in Paul's life was moving him to action. And we see that here in Acts 18.5. Uh, 18, the next one is this. I want you, you can go ahead and write this down, but I have it up on the screen. It's, or it'll be on the screen here in just a second. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So he's saying, all things are good for me, but not all things are going to be beneficial for me. They're not all helpful. So whatever it is, right, and he goes on to talk about food and different things, not, not causing your brother or your sister to stumble or to, to cause them to sin because of things that you like, right? So you're, you're, the, what he's saying here is all, all, all things are, are, are good, right? But not all things are helpful. I'm not going to let whatever that thing it is that I want or is, is, is good for me, whatever it is that, it, that is, I'm not going to let it take over. I'm not going to let it control me. It's not going to dominate my life. It's not going to be the only thing I'm thinking about. Why? Because the, Christ, uh, the, the love of Christ is controlling me. That's what matters most. I'm not being dominated. I'm not being seized or, or, or being tossed to and fro by my emotions, by, by the people I want to be with, by the things I want to eat, by the things I want to buy, by the things that I want. 
And one more for you in, in under how you act and the, 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 how it changes the way you act is this. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Whether it's edge or narrow, 6th grade or 8th grade, 5th grade or 7th grade, guys, we should be loving each other. That's a really important thing. And I, I, it's something that it's really important for you guys to start thinking about now. Whether in your fifth, whether you're fifth grade or sixth grade, seventh grade or eighth grade, right? As you move through these stages and these different ministries at church, it's really important for you guys to say, I need to love this person. It doesn't matter if they don't know your name well or if you don't have anything in common, but you should be serving each other, loving each other. And that, can, that starts now. It starts this, this weekend. Again, I want to point out again, this isn't something robotic, but gives us the freedom to, meet, to make those decisions. I'm making this, this choice right now. I'm saying these things to this person. I'm acting in this way because the love of Christ controls me. Let's go back to what Paul's saying in verse 15. He says this. I need to turn to 2 Corinthians first, then I'll read it. Verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. But for him. So Christ, he presents us with this new way of life through his sacrifice. Christ's love allows us to live in a certain way. And we should be driven to that. We should be, okay, this is how I have to live. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna choose to follow Jesus, Right? If I'm going to profess faith in him, if I'm going to repent of my sins and turn, up, turn from my ways and follow him and be changed by him, then I, I need to live to, by the way that, by what Paul's saying here, how we're called to live. Point number two is this. You have to see how you must live. See how you must live. All right, how, many, how many of you guys love being up in the mountains? Okay, for some of us, it's not all that, it's not hype, right? Some of us don't like it. Some of us prefer the beach. I, I love it up here, especially now. Who's, I mean, who's thankful for all the snow we have, right? It's exciting to come up here and be like, there's so much snow, there's walls. I want to climb all the snow walls and have fun. I want to throw snowballs. I want to just play in the snow. But how many of us could actually live in this weather? Okay, some of you, but not all of us. Because when we go down the mountain, we experience some beautiful, beautiful weather and temperatures, right? Lately, back at home, it's been, it's been somewhat cold. But normally, we're, what, 68 to 72 degrees. And when it hits, like, 67 degrees, we're like, ooh, it's cold. I need my parka. I need my, my everything. But I just need layers. I need layers because it's cold, right? But then it hits 72 or 73, and you're like, ooh, it's hot. I wish it wasn't that hot. Anyway, I like that perfect range of temperatures there. That's, that's what I enjoy. And so sometimes, you know, we, we came up here and I started thinking, oh, I think it'd be kind of cool if, you know, if I ever got the chance to live up here, it'd be kind of cool, right? There's the snow, there's the, the seasonal changes, there's all of that. And then as I'm thinking these things where the bus is driving past homes, guys are shoveling their car out, they're shoveling snow so that they can get their car Today we were playing four-way soccer, and if you wanted to use the, 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 the portable the, uh, bathroom there, it, you, had to, you had to shovel your way through it or walk a distance so that you could use the bathroom. 
So then I started thinking, I don't think so. I don't think I could move here. I don't think I could live here. I'm okay with not living or having to shovel snow or my driveway or any of that. I enjoy our weather back home. I'm grateful for where we live. And it's a good thing that we have the option. Right? Because today, if we wanted to, we could drive up. We're here. If we wanted to go to the beach later, we could. All within a couple of hours. And that's something to be grateful. Grateful. We have the option. I can experience the snow. I can go back home. And that's okay. See, the conditions of our lives dictate the actions and ways we must live to cope with those conditions. Living in the snow means shoveling snow. And maybe for some of you that might be fun. But living in Christ means obedience. Living in Christ means obedience. But what Paul says here in verse 15, right, it's exactly that, isn't it? It isn't uh, isn't it an option if we're fueled and driven by Christ? We're going to be motivated. We're going to be pushed. I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean that in a very positive sense. We're going to be pushed and driven to not just live for our own sake, for ourselves, but for the one who died for us. The one who died for us. When I was younger, when I was younger, I did a lot of things all by myself. All by myself. You guys remember this book? Mercer Mayer. Mercer Mayer. I think that's the only reason why I remember this character was because of the author. Mercer Mayer. That's a really weird name. When I was younger, my parents would ask me to do things. I would have to translate for something for them. Or I would have to, I, I would, they made me uh, go get my own library card by myself once. And I didn't like it. Uh, my dad would leave for work. He, he was in upholstery, so he refurbished uh, um, sofas and love chairs and couches, all of that. And he would leave and he would say, I need you to pull off all the staples here. And then, you know, he expected me to have that done by the time he got back from his normal job. And when he got back down, I think I'd taken maybe five staples out of this couch. But anyway, their whole goal with all of this, right, if I earned a little bit of money, they'd opened up an account for me and I, they're like, okay, you go talk to the teller and tell them what you want to do with that money. And so, I would, I would try to do those things, I, 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 but I didn't. Who does? Those are all boring things, right? Nobody wants to do those things by themselves. I, just, I wanted to go out and ride my bike. I didn't want to go to the bank and, and deposit my cash. I just wanted, you know, who, who was I? I wasn't like a little adult or a little man to do these things. But what I didn't realize then is that it was preparing me. It was preparing me to be an adult, and what I cherish now are those moments that my parents gave me the advice that I, I needed. They said, you need to be doing these things because when you're an adult, you're going to have to, these things get more serious. It was a way of life. I had to live this way. This is, there wasn't an option. This is how I needed to be living. And again, Paul identified himself with Jesus. He said, this is Jesus. This is who I need to be. I need to be exactly like him. I need to go out and do these things for the sake of the gospel because people need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about Christ's love. See, Jesus died so that we may be freed from our, our constraints and the things that are holding us back. And guys, that's, that's as simple as me, 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 I, I, I. Just being inward focused, not thinking about other people. See, this is the way that we need to think about, about what Paul's saying here. We need to be controlled, compelled, 
self-disciplined, and that's the, way, that's, the, that's the way of life. And that in itself right there, right, that's the self-control. Elvis, that's super hard. I don't want to do it. I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to, I want to buy what I want to buy. I want the friends that I want, right? But do you hear that right there? That's the cost. That's the cost. If we think about Jesus' sacrifice as being costly, then the sacrifices we have to make don't even compare. They don't even compare. Some of you might even be saying right now, man, all this talk about self-control, all this talk about Jesus, I need, I, like, I, I, want, I want to give my life to, to that. I want to live that way, but I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to lose my friends. Or maybe it's, Man, I really love this TV show. I really love these movies. I can't give that up because then what, what's left? Veggie Tales? It is. Or, or maybe it's the music I'm listening to. Man, I really like this music. I like these bands. I like these musicians. There's nothing else good. What, how, how, why, why do I need to listen to that stuff? It's not any good. Right? It's costly. These things cost. We have to count the cost if we're going to follow Jesus. We have to. But with that comes the ability to be in control of our emotions, our thoughts, our desires, our actions, and our words. And this is the way we should be thinking. Right? Based on, on verse 15, we no longer should be living for ourselves, and this is what that means. No longer living for yourselves means giving sacrificially. Ooh, that's costly. Elvis, I don't know if I want to do that. That's costly. It costs something. If we're controlled by the love of Christ, we're going to start being selfless by giving sacrificially. By giving sacrificially. Look at what Hebrews 13, 16 says. It says this. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Saying don't, don't stop. Don't neglect Keep doing good things and share what you have. How many of you have not neglected or have neglected to do good today? How many of you have shared today, have shared this weekend, have shared things that maybe somebody else didn't have? I forgot my deodorant. Somebody let me borrow some. <laughs> I forgot my toothbrush. Somebody let me borrow their toothbrush. <laughs> no. That'd be giving sacrificially, though. You wouldn't want to use the toothbrush again. Look at 1 John 3:17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will give to uh, will have to give an account. Let them do with uh, do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I wanted to share that with you because I wanted to flip the script there, right? I wanted you to think of your leaders who are giving sacrificially for you, who are here giving up of their time to be here with you, to stay up late, to only sleep an hour, to then have to drink lots of coffee to stay awake, to go out snowboarding and skiing with you for hours, and to have those great conversations during small groups. Well, that's why I read that one, because I, I wanted you guys to be thinking of giving sacrificially. Who gives sacrificially for you? The second thing is this. 
loving sacrificially. No longer living for yourselves means loving sacrificially. If Christ loved us sacrificially, we need to be doing that same exact thing. His love will compel us to live this way. John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. For his friends. Greater love has no one Right? Think about the friendships you have here versus the friendships you have at school versus the friendships you have in your neighborhood. Right? Think, be, always be constantly thinking about those. How, how can I love these people more? How can I serve these people more? How can I declare the gospel, pro- proclaim the gospel to people more? And lastly, living sacrificially. Living sacrificially. If we are compelled by, Christ, by Christ's love, then we're going to live sacrificially. We're going to live sacrificially because it is Christ living through us. It's Christ living through us. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, we need to get a grip on ourselves. We need to understand that we can do as much as we possibly can with our own capacities and our abilities to have self-control. And you might make it, right? You might get there. You might do it, but that's only going to be temporary. That's why Paul's saying here we have to let his love control us. His, he loves us, and we need to be sure that that's, that's what's driving us. That's what's motivating us. That's what's pushing us to live how we're called to live. See, chips and salsa are my weakness. But, all jokes aside, Christ strengthens me to control myself and not let things dominate my heart and my mind and my prayer and my hope for you guys is that you see that and you allow the love of Christ to control you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this afternoon. Thank you that we have been able to to be here and experience the snow and enjoy the snow and and, and enjoy the, the mountain weather. But God, most importantly, Lord, I, I, I want to pray that as we continue in this weekend, as we wrap up today, as we, we get into our third session tomorrow morning, Lord, that we can, that we can see that we need your son, Jesus. That we see that he's, the, we can see that he's the one that's motivating us to live the way that we are called to live, that we need to live, that the way scripture calls us to live. So God, I, 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 wanna, I, I pray that, that we can see that he's the one that needs to control us, our desires, our actions, uh, our thoughts, the way we act, and we can live that way. And we must live that way. So God, I, I pray that as we break off and go enjoy dinner and small groups and everything, we can have good discussions on, on how the love of Christ ought to control us and compel us to live how you call us to, you've called us to live. I ask all these things in your name. Amen.